You know, if I can look back over the 21 years we've been a band, um, I think since my perspective has kind of changed and as far as my identity and, and how Grace got me there, there's probably some songs I would probably, I would rewrite if I had the chance, but every once in a while, Blind Squirrel gets a nut too, and so beautiful. <laughs> that song kind of nailed on the head, even if I didn't realize exactly what I was saying, but I'm just glad to be a part of it. But uh, that song was written uh, for my daughters, actually. Uh, I have five kids. Uh, yeah, it's like a stunt, I know. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's boy, girl, boy, girl, boy. And my oldest is Sam, he's 13. Uh, Gracie's 11, Charlie is nine. Uh, there are two others that are really awesome also. Um, uh, uh, there's Sophie, who's between six and two, and uh, Miles, who's between six and two. So, uh, no, no, but uh, I, it's like a service you don't want to leave. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of joke when I don't remember their names, but that started at some point being sincere. One night I was on stage and couldn't remember those last two kids. <laughs> made the band laugh and make the band laugh it becomes an ongoing joke so but i'll tell you man you, i mean if you're a dad and you have multiple kids you totally know where i'm coming from because like you ever go to the pharmacy and you got to get medicine for your kid and they ask for the date of birth that's like taking the sat test for <laughs> it ain't i'm like carry the four it's, it's you know what we're just coming up some dirt on us drive off and get the medicine man my wife thinks i'm crazy she's like i know everyone i'm like well good for you it's why i married you <laughs> last weekend for 18 years and um, yeah. and, uh, man, it's, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me um, but uh, you know I, I, I learned pretty quickly um, I it made the news maybe maybe hasn't traveled here yet but there's a big difference between boys and girls I don't know if y'all realize that or not oh yes like boys boys are kind of like pets you know Yep. And if they get upset, they're mad for a few seconds and they start wagging their tail like nothing ever happened. <laughs> My daughters, on the other hand, if I upset them, there's like a 10 day waiting period before I'm allowed to even look their way. I don't understand. It's just different. But I, I, but I, will, I love them the same, but it's different at the same time. I, there's something very unique and very special about the relationship between a father and his daughters. Uh, and I love my girls. They've got me wrapped around their fingers so tightly. And, um, and I, I saw at a young age, you know, like, and, and also being in ministry for this many years, I, I can honestly say that I think the enemy attacks our girls in some ways that we guys can't necessarily understand. Um, you know, like, uh, we've seen girls literally lose their life trying to keep up with what size they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to look like, you know, what the world says the standard is. And, it kind of freaks me out. I've seen my girls when they're super young watching some commercial on TV and the commercials like got them convinced that their life is meaningless unless they own whatever it is they're trying to sell them, right? Girls will turn to me and go, do you hear that? We're living a shell of a life until we own whatever they have. It's like everybody I know has one. I have to have one. I'm like, you're five. You know, like three people. And I'll call all of them and see if they got whatever it is you need. It's cute then, but then there's going to come a time when the world comes crashing and comes just, just, just pulling from every direction. And I wanted my daughters to have a confidence that I didn't have when I was a kid. 
And so I wrote this song because I wanted to realize that, man, no matter what the world says, that God that created the world thinks you're the most beautiful thing he's ever created. And I wanted them to understand that. I wanted them to hear it so much that it was just, it was just a knee-jerk reaction. I know we're beautiful in Christ's eyes. You know, I don't, I, I don't think you can overdo that. Because I want their standard to be, just a, I want their bar to be raised a little bit higher than mine was. I want it to be so high that no man will ever do. That would be awesome for me if they could just stay the way they are. Because when I was a kid, man, I, I did not, I never heard that. Uh, my parents divorced when I was three. My mom remarried a couple of times. And by the time I was in third grade, my stepdad was transferred. And so my mom had to move away. And they decided to keep my brother and myself. He's five years older than me, with, uh, around the rest of our family, in the same schools in the same town. And so so we, we lived with my dad from about third grade on. Uh, what a lot of people didn't realize at the time is that my dad was incredibly abusive to only me. Um, he had a really, really bad temper, and whenever he had a bad day, he would take it up, out on me pretty severely. I don't recall many weeks where I wasn't being three, four, five times a week. I remember one night, uh, the first time I ever saw my dad cry, actually, was um, I, he beat me so badly that I had to sleep on my stomach because from the back of my neck to the back of my knees, was black and blue all the way down. And I had to be seven or eight years old. And he came in and said, why are you crying? And he threw the lights on and he just started to saw what he had done and started bawling. And um, this, this went on until about sixth grade. And um, and in sixth grade, in my, I went through a growth spurt, so I guess I became a little too big to handle. And so he never laid a finger on me, but he, he tore me apart emotionally, you know, pretty badly. Sometimes it was worse than being beat. And this went on until about my freshman year in high school. And my freshman year in high school, my father was diagnosed with cancer. This was bittersweet for me because part of me was glad because I thought all this would come to an end. The other part of me was devastated because it was my dad. It's all that I knew. And what I didn't realize at the time was I had been given like this front row seat to see the gospel transform someone in ways that I've never seen before and rarely seen since, it feels like. And my, my dad went from being this monster to being this, this man who was desperately and passionately in love with Jesus. And I don't, I don't say that, I don't, I don't say that lightly because quite honestly, I didn't want grace to be for him. I didn't want him to get away, get away with this, get out of his scot-free. But the change was undeniable. We, we never prayed growing up, not at dinner, not at Easter, Christmas. This didn't happen in the house. And then all of a sudden I would hear him each night in his room through my walls, hearing him praying for my brother and myself and my mom and divorced three. Just and just crying over us. So I was like, who is this guy? We owned the big family Bible. That's the only one I thought we had. Apparently he had more. And, and my dad, my dad uh, kind of withered away because of the cancer over the years. And there'd be nights where I'd find him and he'd, he'd be asleep with his face in the word, and I would go in and put it on his nightstand and he would wake up. We start having these conversations just about stuff for hours. There was always a moment in every conversation where he'd be in tears, just saying, I'm so sorry for everything that I've done to you, and I wish I could fix it. And, and looking back, man, every time we had those conversations, I just, I just I believe that just a part of me was being repaired, just hearing him say that. He passed away when I was a freshman in college. And, uh, and so in those four or five years, he went from being this man that I was afraid I was going to be like one day. I was afraid I was going to be that kind of husband and that kind of dad. By the time he passed away, he was the guy that I wanted to be when I grew up, if I ever grow up. 
but he's still one of the godliest men I've ever known. And, and you know, he wasn't the guy that got up and slapped his Bible around and told you you're going to turn or burn and wore the t-shirt stuff. It's, he really wasn't that guy. A lot of people wouldn't know much about the change, but it was what happened behind closed doors. I saw this man just obsessed with the Word. I saw every, even his, everything about him just change and transform. So much so that by the time he passed away, the gospel had just, it, I, it's like this, it started like this warpath in my heart for the gospel because I realized, man, if the gospel can change that dude, change anybody. And I still believe that to this day. And needless to say that, you know, I, I grew up and I, I married my wife, Shannon, who was my first girlfriend in seventh grade. And so she, she knew my dad. We didn't date that whole time. She came to her senses in college, but, uh, but we were still friends that whole time. And, and, uh, and, and so she kind of knew the transformation that took place. And, and you know, it's, it's a sweet story and, 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 and tragic at the same time. But needless to say, when we got married, I had some baggage, to say the least. Like, if we went through any stressful situations, man, I didn't know how to handle it, man. I would either take it that it was my fault, just kind of shut down, or get the fetal position and go to happy place. And she was like, you know what? We need to figure this out. Maybe we should go to counseling. And I was like, yeah, like, whatever you think. So we went and saw this godly woman that, that not only saved our marriage, just like she saved my life. And one of the first, I remember going in, and the first thing she said to me was, we need to go back to your childhood. And I was like, no. I'm here because I had a bad Tuesday. I don't want to talk about all that. She goes, well, it's kind of connected. So for about two years, we, we kind of realized how connected it actually was. And there was this moment to where this kind of, I guess you'd call it a breakthrough moment for me. She, she said this one thing that got me just crying, like that kind of goodwill hunting, ugly cry where there's snot flying everywhere. And, it's just really and really, it was profound to me, it may not be to you, but all she said was, you know, if you've ever wondered what you would have been like in a godly family environment, just watch your middle son, Charlie, because he's just like, I start bawling. I'm not even sure why I was crying, but I was bawling. Maybe because in a weird way, it was kind of this do-over. That I, I got to play the role of the dad and, and try to get some of it right. Maybe it's because she just accused us of being a godly family environment. I was like, we win. Let's go. Pay the woman. <laughs> but whatever it was, I know that Charlie, is he's kind of freaked out because I stare at him a little too much now. <laughs> Overanalyzing everything he does. Like, why are you picking Cheerios over Fruit Loops? Is that where I went wrong? <laughs> And so it got me wondering, man, if I could ever sit down and have a conversation with the eight-year-old, nine-year-old version of me, what would that look like? With everything that you've gone through in your life, if you could have a conversation with that younger version of you, what would you possibly say? The blessing of the curse of being a songwriter is that my therapy is that I write songs about it, so I thought it'd be a cool idea for a song, not realizing it was going to be one of the hardest songs I've ever written. Not to mention it had to be about three minutes long to rhyme, so like doubly as hard, right? <laughs> so I didn't know what to say. I didn't know where to start. So I was driving my car one night, and it just kind of dawned on me. I know what I would say. You see, I, I mentioned that friend that kind of reminded me there's nothing I could do to make Christ love me any more than he already does. But one of the other things he did that literally probably made the biggest impact is for about two years, he would text me on a regular basis. You are holy, righteous, and redeemed, and I am for you. And you know what? I started to believe it. Not only who I was in Christ, but that somebody was actually for me. 
that I met a guy that could look me in the eyes and regardless of the things that I've done, right or wrong, he saw me as a brother in Christ and not the guy that screwed up. You can still see that what the things that I've done was not my identity. I've never seen anything like it. And so if I could sit with the nine-year-old version, eight-year-old version of me, I know exactly what I would say. I would just tell him he's holy, righteous, and redeemed over and over and over and over again. Because if that turned my world upside down at 40, how much damage could I have done if I understood it at eight? I don't know what any of you are going through personally. I don't have to. I don't know the things that you've done or that have been done to you, but I can tell you with all of my heart, with everything that I have, I believe 100% that Christ is bigger. And if I'm wrong, I just stay wrong. That there are too many people in the church that you have got the bad habit of carrying your guilt and your shame as if it is a part of you. And it is not and is never meant to be. The enemy has a full-time job of trying to tell you that you are disqualified. That because of whatever you've done, you were kicked out of the club. That don't bother, there are godlier people that can do all of this kingdom stuff. You've lost your chance. And that is not the gospel. If you know Christ, you are not a bad person trying to be good, but you are a saint. You are holy, righteous, and redeemed. And you will have days. You will have days when you wrestle with the flesh. You will win some and you will lose some, but it will never change how Christ sees you. That's the beauty of it. That's what the cross has done. The power of sin still exists, and you will still sin. Some of us will get the highest score in sinning. But sin no longer has the power to separate us from Christ. That should blow your stinking mind. So man, if I knew that, if I understood that as a kid, things would be different. But at the same time, I'm exactly where Christ is. So anyway, this is my conversation, I guess, with the younger me. Hope you liked it. It's called Dear Young Me. Choices that you make, cause they're the choices that made me. And even 
this crazy life Sometimes I wish it was a smooth ride Dear young me Dear young me free.